This is eSports Today with Rob Zachney and Andrew Gruen. Welcome to this edition of eSports Today for August 25th, 2015. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, alongside Andrew Gruen, here to fill you in on what's happening in eSports. On today's show, we recap this week's regional League of Legends finals and what they mean for the World Championship. We also take a look at the Infant Rocket League scene, which took its first steps this weekend with an amazing tournament final. But first, we have the results from the ESL1 Counter-Strike Global Offensive Tournament this weekend, where Fnatic walked away with yet another major championship. If you listened to our discussion with Team Liquid's Joe Wong on last week's show, you'll remember that Fnatic were a dominant force in Counter-Strike earlier this year, but their form had fallen off a little bit in the run-up to the Cologne Tournament. But after eking out a close victory over Virtus Pro, Fnatic swept the French Envious squad out of the final. Although calling it a sweep doesn't really do it justice, because that entire series was really decided on the first map, where Fnatic just broke Envious over the course of an astonishing and near-impossible comeback. Right. The second map was kind of this foregone conclusion where once once Fnatic had been able to gather that kind of momentum, it was really kind of kind of over for Envious after they blew that. Um, but, you know, I was getting really worried about Fnatic at the beginning of that grand final because Envy looked absolutely amazing. You know, they were out thinking and out shooting Fnatic at every turn. But there was this really dramatic, really obvious turning point. You know, Envy was winning... 10 maps to three and Fnatic was forced to go for this, you know, economic focused round where they just bought low cost pistols so that they could save up for better guns in the next round. It's sort of this move where you're backed into a corner and you have no choice but to sacrifice uh, the round and go in with almost no weapons at all and say, okay, you guys can take this round. So we'll try to get the future ones. But they rushed into the map super aggressively with nothing but their pistols and ended up getting two critical early kills. And then they actually stole Envy's guns that were left lying on the ground and then fell back on this defensive position and and ended up actually winning this sacrifice round, which is, you know, not completely unheard of, but is really rare. And it's a sign of a really great team. Um, But Envy was still holding out at that point. And it it wasn't until this incredible quad kill moment by Crims where I I believe... um, I believe Envy was up something like 14 to 7 at that point where Fnatic got the second boost that they needed and they ended up charging back and winning eight out of the next nine rounds and taking it into overtime. Uh, And it kind of all fell apart for Envy right there. Yeah, and, you know, if you'd seen the earlier semifinal that Envy played, uh, you could actually almost see this coming. Like, it was this weird thing where I was nervous about Envy from the start of the final because you could start to feel the entire thing slipping away from them in the semifinal they played against Solomid. Uh, They were up 11-2 on the last map on Inferno, and then they start letting TSM get back into the game, and they only close things out after Solomid had brought the score to 9-15. to And that's not a huge comeback, but when you see a team just, like, struggling to sort of tap it in, right? Like, it's, it's, it's a golf putt, right? Like, the ball's right there by the hole, and you just need to win, like, two <laughs> rounds, and this is over, and you're done. And you end up letting this other team sort of challenge you. That's a really bad sign, and... It sort of was like history repeating in that final, where except even worse, where you know all Envy needed was just one one map win, and they couldn't do it. And the moment the moment it went to overtime, it, like it started to feel like okay, this is this is probably this is probably the end of Envy uh, in this tournament. But the other thing I'd have to say about them is that 
as a team, it would be wrong to say that they got lucky because they were really, really good. But they did rely an awful lot on two players, uh, NBK and Kiyoshima, who would just make these crazy heroic plays. And that made for some fantastic rounds. Uh, But it also meant there was a surprising number of rounds where Envy won just because one of those two players pulled off some kind of crazy, you know, one versus three miracle. And that's a tough thing to sustain. That's not something you can really plan around. Yeah, I, I think I had the most fun this weekend just watching Kiyoshima because he was playing like a god that entire series. The entire second half of the tournament, he was just unbelievable. He was the only thing to my eye that was really holding everything together for Envy. Um, you know, he was probably, even in the grand finals, he was probably playing better than any single player on Fnatic. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, he came away from this tournament looking like the single most dangerous player out there. Um, but Fnatic in the grand final just had a more well-rounded team, you know, and, and that was the theme for Fnatic in particular, this tournament. You never knew which player was going to pick up the slack, but you knew one of them would. You know, we talked about that amazing quad kill from Crims uh, at the end, and it was later on. It was Olaf Meister who who came in and was just, which is brilliant, was just carrying the team on their back, and they kept doing that every every round. There was always one player who would pick up the entire team and carry them over the finish line. Um, but beyond that, what, what was really fascinating to me about Fnatic and what made me really start to feel like they earned this tournament victory was that they're just a brilliant team. You know, we saw over and over again, they would start to lose a series pretty badly, but then they would pause. They would pause the game and they would sit down and they would calmly talk through the problem. And then they'd come back and they would annihilate. You know, it, it was the second map in the in the semifinal against Virtus Pro where they were down 13 to 9 and facing elimination. You know, Virtus Pro is another one of those, those putt situations where you're ahead four maps uh, going into the final few. Uh, but then Fnatic pauses and they talk it through, and they ended up making this huge comeback. And, you know, it was it was terrific stuff from Fnatic, and you know, it, to my mind, it, it really just proved that they were the best, smartest team coming out of this. You know, um, but even if it was a great weekend for Counter Strike, it was an even better weekend for the Fnatic and uh, for the Fnatic organization as a whole, as their League of Legends team also took home the European Regional Finals in a fantastic best of five series against origin uh you know rob you've been mentioning for the last few episodes that Fnatic was the heavy favorite to win the european region you you refer to them as unstoppable uh and that prophecy came true but it ended with a very close series that went all the way to game five uh you know was it surprising that this was not a cakewalk for Fnatic? and were you survived were you surprised by how good of a run origin had the short answer is yes but you also have to remember that Fnatic came into this final having uh, already clinched their spot at Worlds. Uh, more than anything, Fnatic were playing for the distinction of having had a perfect season and a better seed. And that's a different mental space than Origin were in, who were, who were sort of playing for the season. So I, I think that may have contributed to sort of a surprising outcome here. There were other factors too, though. Uh, Origin is a little bit like Fnatic. Yellowstar and XPeke played together for years. Yellowstar is the captain of Fnatic. He's a support player. XPeke is a mid laner who's been around uh, the, the pro scene for ages. And uh, they played together on the old Fnatic roster for, for years and sort of gave that team its personality. And so, uh, you know, the, it, it was kind of this duel of similar mindsets, uh, but slightly different approaches. And 
unlike a lot of teams in the EU LCS, Origin, I don't think, surrender that much to Fnatic in terms of individual player performance. As good as Fnatic as a team has been, one of the other things is that at any every single position, they have a really special player. So their top laner is a Korean player called Huni, uh, who generally just outclasses whoever he's laning against. Uh, the same is happening in the bottom lane where Reckless and Yellowstar are, you know, possibly the best, uh, you know, the best AD carry and support combination outside Korea. That's usually a huge advantage. Origin have some really, really good players. They they sort of match them for player performance in, in some key areas. And so I think, you know, they, they came into this, they're a dangerous team, and they're capable of surprising you. And they definitely surprised Fnatic during the series. Uh you know, if you if you look at that if you look at that first game, uh, Origin were doing a couple things that were almost out of character. Uh, the first is that they were being really really defensive, and that was surprising because the rap on Xpeke's teams was always that they would kind of just try to they would take the fight to you and they'd keep coming right. Whether or not it was going well, whether or not it was smart, uh, they were going to live and die on getting in your face and and, and just keeping up the attacks, but. In that first game, they were reading Fnatic so perfectly that they were just sort of turtling up. Every time Fnatic were trying to set up a gank, uh, Origin were rotating their players around to receive it. And so Fnatic, like, and in League of Legends, anytime you're sitting there waiting for an opportunity to make an attack on a player or a couple players in a lane, that is time spent out of lane. That is time spent not getting farm, not getting experience. And so Fnatic, the game was the game was still close. Nothing really bad had happened, but Fnatic had introduced all these little inefficiencies into their game, and uh, you know the result was that you had one of Fnatic's best weapons, Huni, uh, starting to fall behind in the game, even though nothing has happened, because he's lost time, and his counterpart, uh, Origin Soaz, their top laner, he's been free to farm. And so then Origin were able to do things like steal a dragon uh, out from under Fnatic, which gives you a, a lot of gold, uh, you know, and that, and that was a case where Fnatic seemed like they were really well set up to take it, but Origin were sort of able to just sort of, you know, storm in, steal the dragon, and chase Fnatic off. And, and those, it's, you know, it's those small wins, those small trades that let Origin get ahead, and that's just not a situation Fnatic are used to. Uh, this whole season, even when they've started poorly... It's because plans are blowing up in their face, right? It's a weird thing, but like it's it's better to almost be screwing up your plan than it is to be outplayed by someone else's plan. I, and I feel like that's what was happening here. Origin were just reading Fnatic, countering them, and then that was it was it was this it was the snowball rolling downhill. Uh, so I feel like for that first game, it was like Origin were building this fence around Fnatic. And then slowly, just sort of moving the fence a little bit closer in every direction, and Fnatic is it has fewer and fewer options to work with. And then at the end of the game, you have this you have this classic uh, Xpeke call, where Fnatic are defending their bottom inhibitor uh, tower against Origin, but what they don't see is that they're not defending it against the entire uh, Origin team. Uh, their top laner, Soaz, has actually slipped away, and he's gone up and through the middle, the, the mid lane. And so he actually sort of backdoors uh, Fnatic's base, and he's attacking their Nexus Towers. And by the time Fnatic see that, 
he's already knocking down those towers. And this is classic Xpeke. Like, uh, if you Google, like, Xpeke backdoor, uh, you will get all these moments <laughs> where he steals games from these other teams because he does stuff like this. He, he, he makes these, these, these crazy moves to just have, we'll just go for the throat. We'll send one person back, try to attack the Nexus itself while the rest of the team is somewhere else. This is vintage Xpeke. Here, it had the added twist where this was not a Hail Mary call. This just sort of pulled Fnatic apart, where if they move any direction, if they go and chase Soaz off, the rest of Origin is just going to come up onto the high ground, take out the inhibitor, and then storm the storm the base. Uh, but if they keep defending the bottom lane, Soaz is going to win it. And so this is it's, it's just really rare you see someone pulling fanatic strings like that. It's something we, we've scarcely seen uh, all season. And then, honestly, like Origin did the exact same thing in Game 4. So Origin really put on a surprising performance. Yeah, you know, it, honestly, I love play like that. I, I, especially in, in MOBA games, I love when a team captain or a smart player is able to take themselves out of the adrenaline of the moment where they're trying to just murder the other team and say, okay, no, this this game is about the map. It's about taking objectives. So let's sneak one of our players around and try to take objectives while the other team is distracted and they're caught up in their own adrenaline moment. I, I really, I just, I, I, I love play like that. And it's one of the reasons why Peke has always been one of my favorite League of Legends players. Um, but we also had the North American finals. Uh, what the hell happened? <laughs> we saw Counterlogic Gaming just obliterate Team Solo mid in straight sets, and we thought this was going to be uh, a, a much more closely contested match. But, you know, this was kind of a fascinating thing to watch because I think, simply because we, I think we all expected it to be a better match. But from my point of view, it looked like Team Solo mid just straight up underestimated uh, counter logic and that was a theme throughout the playoffs i remember watching one of riot's uh introductory interviews with team impulse who clg played in the semifinals and almost every player kept saying oh we're gonna win because clg's gonna choke you know or our strategy is to make them choke you know this is kind of what clg is known for and it's and it seemed like every one of their opponents had prepared to play against CLG from last year or the year before that and said, okay, well, because this is their reputation, that will live out again this year. You know, what did you see in that final match? What happened to Solo Mid? You know, first, let me just say, when your strategy is, the, we're going to hope the other guys choke away a win, <laughs> that might actually also be a tacit admission that, look, we're not, we're not as good. Like, you know, it's, it's this weird thing where, like, CLG has this reputation. They, they are legendary for choking. But at the same time, that's not what I want to be banking on if I'm the person playing them. Uh, but beyond that, I, I think the problem with a series like this one is it's 3-0, and the games weren't particularly close. And so it looks like Team Solo mid just imploded. But if you look closely at those key moments, I don't think TSM played all that badly. It's just that CLG played superbly. And I think this was a 3-0 series where those biggest, those big moments, the, the, the moments where the entire match turned, uh, those moments were balanced on the knife's edge. And CLG just had the difference makers. And I, I really think... Uh, their jungler, Xmithy, gets a lot of credit for that. Uh, because, it, like, so look at that last game. 
it's really close. It's like no team has a significant advantage uh, 20 minutes into the game, but it turns decisively against TSM with a dragon fight at the 20 minute mark. And it really comes down to Xmethy, who does a few things to turn what could have been a really good fight for TSM into just an absolute disaster. And so first he kicks off the fight by engaging uh tsm's lust boy uh which which meant that so so tsm were so clg was in the river by the by the by the dragon pit uh and tsm were in a position where they had the option to collapse on clg uh so it's it's a dangerous moment for for clg but but xmithy takes the fight straight to them and engages lust boy north of the river uh and that means that TSM suddenly isn't getting the fight they want. They can't just collapse on the CLG and and encircle them. Now they're actually fighting a couple different fights. Xmithy immediately gets right back out. His job is done. And he goes and defends uh, his team's backline. So the rest of CLG now is following up on the play against Lustboy. And uh, meanwhile, uh, TSM's Bjergsen, who is an outstanding mid laner, and they're counting on him to do a lot of damage in, in this fight, uh, he's trying to come in from behind and start taking down CLG's damage dealers. And there again, Xmithy just not takes him out. He uses uh, his character Echoes. He uses uh, the Timewinder ability and just kills him right at the start of the fight. And so right there, like Xmithy has completely controlled TSM's engagement and knocked out one of their really important carries. And that allows the rest of his team to enjoy the numerical advantage in each phase of the fight. And he was, choreograph- he was choreographing fights like that all day, uh, forcing TSM to waste damage and spread out while CLG were just rolling them up. And, you know, in a game like League of Legends, where it's so much about fight efficiency, having someone like Xmithy running around and, you know, peeling players and getting, getting the right initiation, you know, that's, that's what determines championships. And that's what happened here. Yeah, it seems like right now in League of Legends, the meta is just very, very punishing. Where if you slip up one little mistake, you're probably going to lose two, maybe even three towers. I I think it was was Impulse versus Team Liquid, where we saw again and again a team fight would happen, and then the game would just end. You know, it didn't seem like it was even that close, but, you know, Liquid would just charge through the tier threes, get the inhibitor, and then just take out the Nexus right before you even knew that was going to happen. You know, I think this is one of those cases where it sometimes look. I, I think I think League of Legends sometimes looks more volatile than it really is. And I think a really good counterexample is actually another League of Legends final that we should touch on, and that was China's LPL final between Chao Gu and Moba Powerhouse LGD, uh, an organization that you'll remember from our Dota 2 discussion these last couple weeks. Uh, we'll talk more about these teams in the weeks leading up to, to Worlds, but it has to be said they put on a tremendous final that went on went the full five games and was close all the way to the end. And you know this was a this was a final where the n- neither team, with the exception of maybe one game where LGD really just snowballed out of control and just mopped the floor with uh, with, with Gu. By and large, these were really close games where. No team was making major mistakes. Like if 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 there was if there was a fight and and something went wrong, it didn't cause a full team wipe. It didn't cause multiple objectives to get taken out. And so these teams were it was it was very much more of a of a fencing match. And I, I, honestly, I don't fully understand why it played out so differently, because I'm used to seeing the kind of League of Legends you described, where a big team fight 
causes the entire match to swing. What was weird about this final was that these teams were so careful and so deliberate that it was like it was almost like the, neither team ever really went all in on anything. And it was just all about taking these small little positional advantages. And I don't know, maybe that's a regional difference, right? Like certainly the, the fanatic way is to, you know, first we kill everyone on the map. And then we do whatever the hell we want. And when that works, that, you know, obviously you can, you know, as those death timers <laughs> increase, yeah, you can, you can absolutely do whatever you want. But if it goes against you, uh, you've also exposed yourself to huge risk. And I feel like the Chinese teams were a little better at sort of that risk mitigation and, you know, fighting skirmishes over objectives rather than sort of making these big bets. But anyway, it was... It was the final that, that showed just how ridiculously stacked China is right now. Uh, there was no Edward Gaming in these finals. They got knocked out early in these play, in the playoffs. And Edward Gaming is really like one of the top teams in the world and in, in the world and won the midseason invitational in Florida uh, at the start of before the summer season. So this is a team that everyone had huge ex- uh, expectations for, and they didn't even advance very far in the playoffs. And it didn't matter because both of these teams, LGD and QG, looked absolutely terrific. And the duel between uh, their two carries, uh, LGD's Imp and QG's TNT, was just an absolute treat to watch. Uh, so it, you know, it was it was a fascinating tournament and a, a really interesting counterpoint to the types of games you were seeing out of Europe, out of North America. But you know, here on esports today, we also try to bring you the biggest news from the biggest tournaments. And that is why we need to talk about the massive $260 prize <laughs> that, the, <laughs> uh, that was just awarded in this weekend's Rocket League tournament. Yeah, you know, Rocket League is, is something that I've been personally keeping my eye on since it launched back in July. If you're not familiar with Rocket League, it's just soccer or football, but with cars. You know, that's pretty much it. But that turns out to be this really fast-paced, fun version of soccer where, you know, cars can flip around the map and rocket boost everywhere. It's something akin to, you know, the Burnout Racing Series, except on a football pitch. Um, And I've been watching it pretty closely because it seems like it was born to be an eSport. You know, even the trappings of the game's uh, visual design are meant to kind of echo pro sports but in this sort of tongue-in-cheek isn't it funny that it's like pro sports but it's it's actually cars flipping everywhere kind of way um but there's also it's exciting it's fast-paced and there's room for incredible levels of skill as players literally activate their rocket boosters and soar 100 feet up in the air to do a triple front flip and nail a goal uh you know you can see all these amazing gifts all over like kotaku they do an article like once every three days about amazing rocket league gifts um and, and it's just a dynamite combo for esports. And so MLG hosted this small tournament for the game with, you know, as Rob said, a $260 grand prize, um, which, you know, if you're going to only give away $260, I'm pretty sure that those players aren't showing up for the money. You might as well just skip the part where you mail the check and just not offer a prize and just have it be about prestige. Uh, but anyways, it, it, it resulted in this amazing grand final where the teams Cosmic Aftershock and Kings of Urban, you know, go right down to the wire in this nail-biter finish. And this was a really interesting beginning for Rocket League as an eSport, and I'm not entirely convinced that it was a good one. Um, I play a lot of Rocket League. I'm a mediocre player. uh, And I've been thinking for a while that Rocket League would make an amazing eSport. But here's the thing. This was the best 
possible grand final that Rocket League could ever hope for. It, it probably won't be equaled for a long time to come. Um, I mean, it was a tight game. It was a comeback leading into a buzzer beater finish. And I thought it was only kind of fun to watch. To, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure what it was missing, you know, but uh, I, I, I didn't find myself, you know, over the moon about this. I'm speechless. Like, <laughs> Andrew, why are you dead inside? <laughs> There's there's a few there's a few things that I find kind of stunning here. Uh, first of all, I, I thought that I thought that final was was absolutely incredible. Now I agree the presentation wasn't the best. Like Rocket League needs better spectator options. Uh, I think it's interesting that the best camera angle you could get in the matches was when a team was running a goalie, and you had goalie cam because that's the only way you can actually survey the whole field and see the flow of play. Um, beyond that, it's actually a kind of a tricky game to, to spectate and in a weird way like a lot of camera angles made the really exciting and fun game look kind of boring so i agree there's presentation issues that said uh you know i thought that the, like i thought the final was was just an absolute delight and there were there's some really interesting strategic things happening in that series where um you know cosmic aftershock uh, cosmic aftershock we're playing a lot like really super skilled puppies, right? Where everyone's just playing offense and they're just nailing these crazy trick shots. And they've been able to dominate this tournament by just running up the score on people, uh, which was another issue with the tournament as a whole. Like there were some real differences in, in, in skill levels between some of the semifinalists. Uh, Cosmic Aftershock were just destroying people. But Kings of Urban, it was really interesting because they seemed to like hit this next level where you could almost start to see Kings of Urban inventing Rocket League as a sport on the fly. Because the way they shut down Cosmic Aftershock is they had this one player, Gambit, just play goal. Uh, and he was a dedicated goalie for a lot of that match. And that's what actually turned things around. Because suddenly those, those crazy ridiculous shots that Aftershock had been relying on were getting blocked and getting put back into play. And that was a really, like, as, as, a, as, someone, who loves, as someone who loves hockey, like, it was really cool seeing these two strategies run, you know, headlong into each other and, and how it all shook out. And then, you know, it ends with a buzzer beater, which in... in Rocket League is really cool because as long as the ball is airborne and doesn't touch the surface of the field, the clock doesn't wind down. The match doesn't end. And so they're trying to stave off an overtime and shut down Cosmic Aftershock's comeback. And Kings of Urban are playing out of their minds, keeping that ball in play and keeping it bouncing in the air. And ends with them spiking it through the goal. And I was watching this on a VOD, like, you know, two days after the event. And I was cheering. And so I'm kind of I'm I'm really kind of surprised to hear to hear you say like well to hear you so lukewarm on it. I'm also kind of curious why you don't think that was like that much better than the people you see online. Like I'm kind of wondering like who are you playing with? <laughs> you know I'm I'm not exactly sure what it what it was missing for me and I think that it really does come down to what you had mentioned which about the camera angle because you can hardly feel the tension. I, I it's hard to exactly 
uh, articulate what that means. But like compared to other esports, I don't feel the tension when I'm watching uh, Rocket League. Um, and, and I feel like maybe that is a presentation issue and maybe, you know, maybe the announcers aren't exactly sure yet how to cast Rocket League in such a way that makes it interesting. You know, I think that point that you made just now was the most interesting thing that I heard strategically about Rocket League, you know, even after having watched the Grand Finals VOD. Um, but then there's also this factor that, like you had mentioned, I, I felt a little bit like I was watching a random replay from an online match um, and, and the, the, the skill level on display only felt maybe a little bit above what I'm used to seeing from good teams online. I didn't feel like I was watching them, you know, go up for those giant uh, 100 feet in the air shots that, I, that I'm used to seeing from, from like high-level Rocket League gifts or anything like that. It seemed like relatively standard play. Um, you know, and, and I felt like it was, it was kind of a shame for me. I didn't, I didn't get up out of my seat and cheer, even though there were a couple of moments where I did kind of shout out like, oh my God, that was an amazing goal, whatever. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I have nothing but the absolute best wishes for rocket league though because it's a phenomenally exciting game and i hope that they're able to sort out those issues that i was feeling when i was watching it uh particularly because this is seemingly a very popular game in south and latin america and in the middle east and there's nothing that i want more than to see new parts of the world being brought more closely into the esports fold and if it takes a soccer analog or football analog to do that then i'm I'm totally okay with that yeah yeah, it, it's definitely cool how approachable this this game is and, and how broad the, the player base is. And I really think that the odds are good this is going to turn out to be a pretty solid eSport. Uh, just because, you know, it has the, the right ingredients, right? The, it's it's simple to, to understand. Uh, it's easy it's easy to sort of watch and pick up what's going, going on. And, uh, you know, there's an absolute ton of people playing it. And those tend to be your predictors for esports success. So I suspect we will be talking about Rocket League again uh, at some point in the future of this show. Uh, anyway, that does it for all today's esports news. Next, we'll be talking about esports tomorrow. But first, we should mention that this episode was supported by the podcast called Game is a Four-Letter Word, a video game podcast for people who might not be into video games. It's an edited podcast built around segments highlighting the best stories in games, with each episode being fueled by a real four-letter word for inspiration. It's just launched this week, and you can check it out at g4lw.net. So thanks for the support, and good luck to the Game is a Four-Letter Word podcast at g4lw.net. If you would like us or Idle Thumbs Network shows, shows to record a message of, or a mention during one of our shows, you can do that at store.idlethumbs.net. Uh, anyway, Andrew, what do we have coming up this week? Uh, this week, we've got a little bit lighter fare. This past weekend, we were a bit spoiled with three huge grand finals events. Uh, but next week, things get back to normal a little bit. You know, uh, We'll be watching the final week of the StarCraft II Pro League division before the playoffs. Uh, and this is actually going to be kind of interesting. Um, there's one dominant team in Pro League right now, uh, and that's SKT1. And they're guaranteed first place, so no one really cares about what they do this week. Um, But there's also this one horrible team (laughs) in Team Prime who hasn't won a game since, I believe, April. Um, Which means the middle of the pack is really clogged up. There's only eight teams in Pro League. Or is it seven? Um, It's it's eight. Okay. Um, They they need eight, which is why Prime is still around. So there, are, so there are five or six teams that are within half a game of each other, and they're all vying to break that tie as the season ends to put them in the put themselves in the best possible position. So in this final week, it's going to be really, really important. Well, and it's a really interesting time because 
Pro League does this weird playoff system, which it's not intuitive. It's it's kind of a problem with Pro League. It's actually really hard to create the playoff scenarios in your head because there are playoffs each round, and then there's your playoff playoffs. Uh, so that's the 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 interesting thing happening in this in this round robin. I think is that um, like Casey Rolster, I think is just clinging on to a playoff spot to keep them in contention to defend their championship from uh from last year but they're being really hotly pursued by the uh Spinu team which has a uh, DRG bomber uh it's the old um it's the old Startail team and so things are really coming down to the wire in, in pro league and there's a real chance that you know one of the one of the mighty telecoms uh could legitimately be knocked out if if they stumble and then elsewhere in StarCraft 2, we'll be watching as the GSL Code Ast round of 32 finishes up, and we'll get our first look at the round of 16 brackets, uh, which will be really interesting. Uh, but then, Rob, I believe there's one other slightly off-kilter StarCraft event happening this weekend? Uh, yeah, it's worth mentioning that Red Bull are running an Archon Mode tournament this weekend. Uh, six qualified Legacy of the Void Archon teams are competing in Santa Monica for the final ticket to the Battlegrounds Final in Washington next month. And uh, But this is really a chance to see what the pros are doing with Legacy of the Void and Archon Mode, which is the, which is the mode that allows uh, two players to work side-by-side controlling uh, basically one base, right? So the way a lot of teams break it up as one person will do micro command on units someone else will be macroing back at home uh so it's interesting to see sort of the state of play in legacy of the void and what professional archon mode looks like uh and i think this tournament just took on an added interest because blizzard are making massive changes to starcraft 2 in legacy of the void like this is really not starcraft 2 as you've known it Right, and I think that for a lot of people who don't follow StarCraft regularly or who don't understand a lot of the way that the game works, a lot of this may not be immediately intuitive, but when, when you talk about Blizzard taking out things like like Chrono Boost uh, for the Protoss race or the Mule uh, for the Terran race, um, on top of the other changes that they're making for Legacy of the Void, you know, the only way that I can sum it up is that Legacy of the Void is essentially a different game. Uh, this is a reboot for StarCraft 2 if these changes stay in effect uh, on top of the other uh, StarCraft changes that have come in with Legacy of the Void. Um, and it's, it's going to just be, it's going to be havoc uh, for the professional scene when this comes in because we're going to be playing a game that no one actually knows how to play anymore. Yeah, I like have I've been I've been in the Legacy of the Void beta and I'm really excited about a lot of the changes they've made. There are some things, especially in this latest patch, that have my eyebrows uh, going up a little bit. Uh, some of the things they've done to Protoss uh, sound like something that like <laughs> they sound like patches being written by Terrans and Zerg in 2012. <laughs> uh, so it does sound a bit like a cruel joke. Yeah, like like some some stuff with like with warp in timings and everything. It's uh, these are some pretty brutal changes. But anyway, you'll get a, you'll get a chance to see what's going on this weekend, uh, 3 p.m. Eastern every day over at battlegrounds.redbull.com. Uh, so we'll be discussing these tournaments on next week's show on September 1st. But that's all we have for this edition of Esports Today, an Idle Thumbs Network podcast produced by Michael Hermes. You can learn more about the show and discuss esports with us in the Idle Thumbs community at our website, esports.today. We'd also love to hear your feedback and answer questions on the air, so drop us a line at questions at esports.today. You can also follow us on Twitter at ES2D Podcast. 
If you've enjoyed esports today so far, please review and rate us on iTunes, which is an incredibly helpful tool for a new podcast, and share it with your friends on Twitter and Facebook. We'll be back next week to discuss the past, present, and future of esports. For Andrew Gruen, this is Rob Zachney, signing off.